0: Alright everyone, as you know, hopefully, um, as a church this fall, we've been going through the book of Colossians. I'm not going to have you turn to the book of Colossians, because that's not where our bulk of our study is going to go today, but it's where I want to kick things off, because it's why we're digging in the direction of God's will that we are. Um... I don't know how long we'll be going through the book of Colossians, but I read through the first sentence of it again a couple of weeks ago and was struck. I got through one sentence and had to stop and realize there is a a mountain sitting there in verse 1, a word that is so big and so complicated that we can't go past it. I read the first sentence, and Paul introduces himself. He said, Paul, I am Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. I stop right there. The will of God. Now, you guys have solved the problem in your own small groups, and I appreciate that. You can let me know now that you obviously clearly know fully what the will of God is by discussing it for five minutes. But for me, it felt like an unanswerable question. It felt like a confusing question. And it made me start asking next questions. Okay, so if Paul is an apostle by the will of God, that means that it was God's will that Paul become an apostle. So we go down the road. Let's just follow that little rabbit trail a little bit. So that means that God wanted it to happen, right? Right. Does it mean that God made it happen? We're getting iffy here. You're not sure if you're supposed to agree or not, so no one's answering. That's fair. But in Paul's case, God knocked him off the donkey, blinded him, and said, you're going to be my apostle, right? So God made that happen. So then did Paul not have a choice in being apostle? What about the people that don't follow God? Do they have a choice in following God? Does God make people and not make people? What's the will of God? How ironclad is it? Well, it's the will of God that he would be an apostle. But that's not a title for Paul. That's an action and a calling. God didn't say, "I intend to give you the role and title of apostle," as if it was role and title of pastor, elder, deacon, ministry leader, nonprofit president. It's not a title, it's an activity. God is saying, Paul, I demand from you that you make it your life's work to be a sent one, an apostle. I am not giving you a title. Paul, I am not giving you business cards. I am not giving you a logo and branding and a website. I am giving you a mission. And this is not optional because I have sons and daughters that need to hear about me, need to hear this gospel, and I've chosen you. Boom. Well, you know, in looking at people taking steps of faith, I'm pointing towards Alexis. We saw the the white rose earlier. Like, what is our role in listening to the will of God, in acting it out? Because I'm concerned that many people who think they're Christians are actually fatalists. They believe in fate rather than in God. Well, things are going to happen the way they're meant to happen. That's not actually a Christian statement. Although it it can become Christian if we adapted to say things will happen the way God wants them to happen. But then we feel like we have to qualify that because there's lots of stuff that happens. See Israel right now. See other things in the world that clearly are not what God would wish to happen. So then how do you wrestle with what the will of God is when stuff happens that clearly could not be his will unless he's an awful divine being? But he's not. He's defined by his love. It's his primary character trait. Everything flows from that. So you see, I felt like, okay, we're going to talk about the will of God. And then I instantly realized there's like 30 sermons worth of the will of God. And so I do not pledge to any certain number of weeks on this because I have no idea how many God will say we should set up. We're sitting here for a while. This is what we do with scripture. We walk into it. We encounter the people in it. And then certain things kind of like hit us. It's beautiful and sometimes you just want to sit with them you just want to appreciate them sometimes you just have to like think about them for a long time because you're not ready yet to go on to the next thing so I don't think that we're ready to go on to verse 2 until we stop for a while and think about the will of God I want you to think about in terms of your own lives what is God's will for you does he have a larger will are there daily minute-by-minute things That he wills for you to do the question that Michaela asked what what is your relationship to God in terms of his will are you following it are you neglecting it are you ignoring it are you trying to bypass it are you pursuing it are you oblivious to it are you knowledgeable of it do you love it does it feel like a cruel thing I think this study for me Has given me more perspective on God's will than I've ever had before and so I'm excited to share thoughts with you that I think will help us think about these things and specifically come to appreciate God more the places where he is rigid and the places where he gives freedom the places where he divinely decrees and the places where he allows Uh, there's there's so much to God's will so I'm gonna say a prayer this is my little Two second intro here, so that you can know where I'm hoping to go with this, um, but we're specifically going to be reading from Ephesians one because that first verse our first section of verses there has all the different aspects of god 's will all together and how they relate to each other and so if we look at that, I think it's going to help us understand what it means for us but I'd like to pray for you and pray for me that God makes His will clear to us this morning, so please just bow your heads, please. Take a moment with the Father and pray with me. Father God, may your will be done in the reading of your word on earth here as it is in heaven. May your will be done in our relationships and marriages as it is in heaven. May we desire what your will desires in heaven. May we act upon tangibly do actions every single day that are based upon what your will calls for. May we submit to your will in the places where you're challenging us. May we come to know your will in places where we just weren't even aware. May we love your will and not feel like it's an anchor or handcuffs or a heavy weight meant to press us down. May we see your will as an expression of your goodness and your good pleasure. Thank you, Father, for your word, that in studying it we can come to know you better. Please open our eyes that we might see you and know you and love you more this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Please turn to Ephesians 1 and... I'm going to give you the preface that will help you see what we're trying to get out of this. We're reading verses 3 through 14 in Ephesians. If you have a Bible or if you have a phone with an app, whatever, I would like you to read along with me. I'm going to be stopping. This is one of those times since we're thinking about words where different translations will say things differently. That's okay. I'm reading from the English Standard Version, just recognize where the differences are, try to like absorb those variations of meaning. In this case, words are very important, and here is why. In the Bible, there are three different words that we all translate as will. Some of you are familiar with uh, the Greek language and how it relates to the word love. And in English, we have like one word love, but in Greek, there's like five different kinds of loves. And we we know it's sort of like helpful to learn a biblical perspective of love because it makes our love make more sense. We don't love a cup of coffee in the same way that we love our, our mother. We don't love puppies in the same way we love our spouse. We don't love sports in the same way we love God. But we say, oh, I love these things. And it's true, but it's different kinds of love. So hopefully you've done studies. I feel like there's been many studies out there, many books written, many sermons preached. I know I've talked on it before. This is one of those same moments. God's will. One English word, three Greek words. And all of them are different. And in my mind, my mind's been being blown this last couple of weeks as I've been studying this deeper and deeper, learning more myself, these aspects and facets of God's will that have been helping me I'm like, oh, well, this clears up this point of confusion. And oh, this helps me understand God's permissive will versus his decreative, declarative, ironclad will. Oh, because they're actually different words. So sometimes the Bible's saying, this is God's will, it will happen. And then other times, it's saying this is God's will. He would want this to happen. And other times, it's saying the third way, this is God's will, his big plan. So if you want to separate in your mind the three wills of God, the first one is his plan, big plan. There is one will of God that he should bring salvation to completion for all who will receive him, the sovereign plan. But then there's also the specific plans that God makes. He sets certain things in motion. He does certain things. And the last thing is the pleasure of God. The pleasure. His will, based upon His goodness, it would be that we would all turn to Him, that none would be lost. And so God's will is for everyone to be loving. And so that's an outpouring of His nature and His character and it provides sort of like an umbrella under which he has this master plan. And then also these specific plans that he enacts. And so if we look at different words and say, well, which will of this is we're talking about in this verse? And as you read through the Bible, you start to pick this out. Oh, this is the big picture will. God will not be thwarted. Satan will not win. Jesus will not fail to return. People who turn to him will not fail to be saved. That cannot be stopped. Amen. The plan of God cannot be altered, changed, thwarted, stopped. Big picture. And also, if God wants something in a moment, if he wants to slap Saul right off his horse, wake him up, give a wake-up call, which many of us have had here in our lives, those wake-up calls, those moments of like illumination. We're like, oh, I, I know now something that I didn't know a second ago because of what I experienced or learned or, or, or were saved from. We thank God for those things because he stepped in in a way that we couldn't have done on our own and this is the grace piece this is what we trust we're not trusting on our own righteousness we're trusting on the grace of god to save us and so please god save us please step in don't let it be all up to me because then we're all screwed i needed to be up to you so help me but the, the will of god is that we would always be righteous we're not i'm not you're not but that's his will it's his wish it's his good pleasure his sovereign desire would be that our lives would be filled with love and so every time we are unloving unkind cutting caustic belittling those are not expressing God's love he's displeased that's where you see the the verbs in the Bible about God where he was who is sad he was angered he was displeased with them like that's not his heart. But our sins will not stop God's salvation. And so his will is for all, but he made us with the ability to respond to him. He doesn't want robots, he wants children. A parent's will is that a child would always love them, always listen to them, and sometimes it happens, but sometimes it doesn't. It's still the parent's will that the child would love them. It's still their nature as a parent to love their child. And there's still a plan as a parent to help raise the child to be mature, godly, loving. So day by day you do things like, well, I'm going to pray for my children. This is an action that's happening now. I'm determining this specific action because it's part of the larger plan and it's an outpouring of the love that I have for my kids. So they're all true and they're all active, but they're different facets. So there's three different words for will. We're going to see them all right here in Ephesians 1, through 3-14. But since it's part of his plan, there's a couple of other words wrapped in there. Predestination is wrapped in there. This is a word that becomes frustrating and fearful for people sometimes, but I love that it's in here because I would love to encourage you to feel free in relation to this word, not to have it be a restrictive thing, uh, but to recognize that it means God establishes boundaries. So within his loving purpose, there's just there's guardrails on the side of the road. You don't have to worry about going off into a ditch. You might scrape up against the side of it from time to time, get a flat tire, but you're going to stay on the highway. And that's what predestination is. And as we're going to see, it's based in God's love because he really wants our old jalopy of a car to make it all the way to its destination. So he's got the long view. He's laid out the road, puts up boundaries so that we don't have to fail beyond his love. But then in that, he has all these road markers along the way, all these things that happen within his goodwill. So this is just a beautiful passage. Um, I'm going to read through it, and whenever I hit one of those words, I'm just going to define it for us, and then keep going. And you'll see these three words. There's like six different aspects of the plan and purpose of God. So in some ways, get ready for a popsicle headache. In other ways, get ready to appreciate the majesty of a God who we're never going to fully understand. This is not the goal to like fully understand the will of God. What I would like to do is stop misunderstanding it that would be fine with me. If we could just stop misunderstanding and charging God with evil or blaming God for our poor choices or worrying that maybe this whole thing is just sort of like a cosmic setup. We can dismiss all of that by understanding actually what was written in these original scriptures. Just a little bit of vocab lesson to help us get there. Ephesians chapter 1. Verse 3. This is Paul again to another church, just like Colossians. Um, So he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption. So two words there we're going to focus on. Love you can interpret that as his loving foreknowledge because we know from Romans 8:29 and 1 Peter 1:2 God's predestination is based upon his foreknowing everything that will happen and his love. So loving foreknowledge is the groundwork. It's the pavement of the road that God lays out. Predestination are those boundaries that horizons. It actually just means like establishing a horizon, a line, a level line. It's establishing boundaries. Uh, it's not necessarily... Uh, it is not, not necessarily... It's not... Um, A puppet's on a string. God who's telling everybody what they will do and when they'll do. It's boundaries, literally what the word means. So those are the two words we start with as we try to understand the will of God. There's loving foreknowledge, there's predestination. What are we destined for by his loving foreknowledge? Adoption to himself as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ. According to the purpose, this word means the good pleasure and the goodness of God. So his purpose is good because he's good. So his plans are good. They're for good because he wants good. And he's causing good. And he's establishing boundaries to maintain good. And he's going to do specific actions and decree them for good. And his will is that it would all be good. When he made creation, it was all good. All good. Everything was good. 24-7, the smallest molecule to the largest unit, you know, good. He just saw that it was good because that's his will. His will is creation would be good. Sin comes in and wrecks things. God doesn't come in and wrecks things. God comes in and restores things because he made it good and he can remake it good again. This is the salvation plan. So, according to his goodness, his good purpose, his good pleasure of his will. This is the first will. If you're interested in the Greek word, it's called philema. It means... The sovereign pleasure of God. It is God's sovereign, divine pleasure that makes up this version of his will. When we apply it to ourselves, we be like, these are all the things we would want. What I wish would happen. I would wish that my wife and I would always clearly communicate and never have any friction between us. I would wish that. That is my heart. That's her heart too. That doesn't always manifest in reality. That's why we get great chances to practice forgiveness and apology and like, unity. But the wish is there. The desire is there. Our desire is for good for each other. And because God's nature is the goodness and love of God, thelema is this word, good pleasure. So some places when you read the Bible, God's will, it's what he would desire to be based upon his perfect goodness. First one, on. All right. So, he's set up these things as loving foreknowledge, which he set on the horizons and the boundaries, according to his purpose, which is his goodness, of his will, his sovereign desire, to the praise of his glorious grace. So that's all for God's glory. Which he has blessed us In the beloved, through Jesus, we've received some of this. So in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood. So we get fixed up, patched up, sealed up, healed up by Jesus. The forgiveness of our sins. We do not have to stay in our sins. We do not have to be punished for them. We can just be forgiven. We can take them off. That's the gospel of grace. According to the riches of his blood excuse me, the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us, this like overwhelming blessing with all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will. So this is the again, the sovereign pleasure and the desire. There's a mystery to it. What is God's good desire in this situation or in the world or his purposes? This is a mystery. But he makes known to us His pleasure is that everyone would be saved. It will not be a reality that everyone will be saved, but it is his good pleasure and his desire, God's wish, his dream, his goodness manifest into what he wants, but which he will not force is that everyone would be saved. So we get to know this mystery because we see Jesus like, man, if God is willing to let his own son die, there's no mystery about that anymore. He's willing to do anything to save me from my sins. He's willing to do anything to save you from your sins. So the philema of God becomes clear through Christ. You may look at the Old Testament, you may look at the world, you may look at other places and say, is God good? Is God not? Is the world good? And you ask questions. But if you see Jesus, there's no more question. There's no more mystery. The wisest person ever being willing to talk with the littlest children. The most loving person ever being martyred and crucified unjustly and not saying a peep, taking it. The perfect person being punished for all the sins, like there's no mystery anymore to the wish and desire of God when he goes to that length and then saves us by the resurrection of his son. So that part of it, but it's still always a mystery about the specific decisions. That's why we pray about how to use our money. That's why we pray about who to marry, what school to go to, what church to attend, what job to take. The the specific determinations, they need to fall within the thalema of God. Is This this is somehow achieve or fall within the boundaries of the goodness of God. And if you remember, when we talk about the will of God in the past, we say it's different from like a bullseye on a target. It's more like the whole target itself. As long as you can fall within the target, there there is a will of God, but there's freedom within it. This is what Thalema gives us permission to say. (laughs) There is a will of God. You could marry any godly man. And that falls within the desire of God that you be not unequally yoked, but that you marry someone who shares your faith so you can raise children in faith, so you can be unified in faith. So it is outside of the will of God to marry someone who is not a believer. That's outside the desire because that will pull you from God. It will undermine your ability to live for faith. It will not allow you to have a unified parenting to your children and bring them up in the way of the Lord. It will pull down on the things that you want to strive for for the Lord. It will be in conflict, in opposition. So there is a will of God. But we're like, well, which one is it? <laughs> that guy like, is two people or I have this person. Like, is this the will of God for this person? First, we just recognize that the will of God is for his goodness to be manifest in the world. His love to be seen. And if we're there, then we're kind of like within the broadest picture. You've stepped into the target. <laughs> You're inside the realm of God's will. You could confidently say, I'm in the will of God because I'm trying to pursue a godly spouse. Is it this person? Well, now we've got to get to the more specific aspects of God's will. So we keep reading. All right. um, Made known to us the mystery of his will, his thalema, according to his good pleasure, his purpose. Again, according to his goodness, which he set forth in Christ as a plan. This literally just means blueprint. So this isn't the will of God; it's a plan. There's a blueprint for the fullness of time. God's got it laid out. He knows how things will work towards his conclusion. A plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven, and things on earth. Now, in him we have obtained our inheritance. So those of us who have been saved, who love God, we've already obtained an inheritance. Having been predestined according to the purpose of him. And we're going to stop right there, because that word is another one of these words that's translated as the will of God, according to the will of him. And this one is prothesis, and it just means the sovereign plan. The big-picture plan. Every time this word is used in the Bible, it's talking about the salvation plan. What is the will of God? The will of God is that he redeem his creation. And that's a perfect answer. But it falls within the good pleasure of God. Because his goodness wants to address the sin. Wants to address the brokenness. His goodness determines his will, his sovereign plan. So you see, we're set up to kind of follow along this specific will of God plan. And it is him who works all the things out according to his, here's the third one, his counsel. This is also translated as will. This word is boule, and it just means the specific, determined actions. God makes decisions. He makes things happen. He works all these things, the details, according to his counsel, his decision-making, based on his desire, thelema, his sovereign pleasure. So you have the three words right there, prothesis, bule, and thelema. And the middle one, the council. this is the word in ancient Greek which was used to describe the Roman senate. So picture the senate. It's the council. What is the will of the Senate? We have determined, based upon all of our discussion and based upon our... um, Facts, pros, and cons that this is the determination of the council. In modern Greek, I'm told that it also refers to parliament. So it's the same concept. God has this council within himself. When we seek wisdom, we kind of like chew on the will of God. We chew on scripture. We pray. We talk to each other. We wrestle with things. And then we come to a determination. God does this as well. He's like, in this moment, I'm going to do this thing based upon the council of my will. So it's not just the sovereign pleasure it's not the plan the will of God end to beginning it's like based upon wrestling with this moment this is the thing to do this is the right thing to do and so God's will is a plan God's will is specific decisions and God's will is a good pleasure according to his nature and you see them all right here so let me read in verse 11 again and then we'll just read through the end so in him we've obtained our inheritance having been predestined according to his will the plan, the will of him who works all things according to the will, the determinations, the counsel of his will, his desires and his good pleasure, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might result in the praise of his glory. And in him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and you believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So, we stopped there, we've thought a lot, we've thrown a lot of concepts and ideas out there. What I see in this is a great opportunity to once again have confidence in the Word of God. Because the will of God is one of those specific areas that people have some of the biggest doubts. Have you heard this verse in Matthew 18? It is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that any of these little ones should perish. Which will is that? It's not His will. Or maybe you've heard from 1 Samuel, remember, um, the story where it says... If someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? They did not listen to their father, for it was the will of the Lord to put them to death. Hmm. So it's not the will of the Lord that anyone should be put to death, but it was the will of the Lord to put them to death. It is not the thelema of God that anyone would die. It is not his good pleasure. Remember that verse that says the Lord is not slow in keeping his promises? Because he does not wish Thalema. His pleasure is not for anyone to die. Second Peter 3, now I'm gonna read it for you. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but wishing that all should reach repentance. And the first wishing there is bule. Do you remember what that one is? The decision so God is not determining willing that everyone will perish he's wishing Thelema, his goodness that everyone should reach repentance but not everyone will which is why we have Christ which is why we're waiting on the day of the Lord I think sometimes when people find apparent contradictions in the Bible like that it really just gives them an opportunity to and gives us an opportunity. Let's put ourselves in that seat because we feel this way sometimes too. But when this crops up in our minds, it kind of gives us a forum to like just state our doubts. And it kind of brings them to the surface. Well, how do we really know? When bad things happening, is God making it happen? Well, that would be boule. The Bible never says that anywhere. Does God want them to happen? No. It's his thalema. He wants all men to be saved. He wants his goodness to be acted on earth. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, right? Thy will be done. It's the Lema. When we're praying for that, you are praying that all the things that give God pleasure would happen in this day. May your will be done. I pray that how I treat people, I pray that how I go to work, I pray that the attitude that I have, I pray that it would be according to your sovereign pleasure. Not, is it your will that I have the Rice Krispies or the Cinnamon Toast Crunch? Right? We're looking for the will of God, and sometimes the will of God is us to express His love. But every one of us is different, so we're going to express it in different ways. So the question for us, and the one I want us to think about, is when you're approaching your decision-making, which will of God are you praying for? Which will of God are you pursuing? Let's take a job. I want to take this new job. You want to take this new job. Is it God's will that we take this job? Well, you start with the big picture. Does this job in some way satisfy the pleasure of God? Does it provide for my family in such a way? Does it help... The economy of a country in such a way does it produce some sort of good that can help other people is there some benefit to okay well great there are probably some jobs that are not in the will of god because they don't do anything good or they're not good for us or they produce something bad okay well then as christians we would stay away from that and then we step a little bit further and we say all right does this plan fit how does this plan fit within god's overarching plan Sovereign plan, salvation plan, the plan, the will of God. Well, either it's going to give you people to witness to. So you're there to achieve the will of God by saying, now I'm going to bump into people who don't believe in God, who might hear about God through me, so it's God's will because I can be a witness there. Or it could achieve the sovereign plan in our own lives where this job is going to be so hard, it's going to sanctify and purify me because I'm going to have to wrestle with it all the time so that I will be sanctified unto glorification. God will work this job in me so that his big plan of salvation is accomplished in my life. Maybe our selfishness is too strong. Maybe our self-reliance is too strong. And this job is going to take it away from us. And that's part of the plan. (laughs) Because we need to be humbled, perhaps. Or we need to be more trusting, perhaps. We're, we're being improved, and God uses good and hard things to sanctify us for his glory. And so we move through the layers. Like, does this fit within his will? Is this okay for me to do? Okay, well, then I'm in the will of God. Does this satisfy some goal? How does Christ manifest himself in this? What? How does this work towards the kingdom? I think in the past, it's been more prevalent that if someone wanted to really do the will of God, they would want to go into full-time ministry. They'd want to become a pastor or a missionary or a professor in a Christian college with the feeling, and it can be true at times, with the feeling like if I could just invest myself full-time into talking about the Lord and teaching others about the Lord and doing those things, then I would be doing the will of God most clearly. But if I go in and work at a job and I just sit behind a computer or I make widgets or I do spreadsheets or whatever, you know, pave roads, teach children, then like, well, that's my other job, and so I need to get into ministries at the church to make sure that I'm doing something spiritual with my life as well. That's the entire wrong way to look at it because all the people who need God are all the people outside of church, so we need to be around them all the time, being Christians near them. So, what do our jobs give us opportunities to build the kingdom? If your job does that, if you work with anyone, even one other person, it gives you the opportunity to build the kingdom of Christ. So, it's God's will being done. His sovereign plan is being done in that moment. And then as we step closer and closer into prayer, then we start to feel like, okay, God, I feel freedom. I could really make this decision. It fits into your will, your good pleasure. It fits into your plan. Is this the plan? And if we have that feeling of peace, if others confirm and if we read Scripture and feel like, yeah, I'm getting a green light from the Lord, then we just confidently jump in. And then we can say, I feel like this job is God's will. Or I feel like moving to Taunton is God's will. It fits within his plan of reaching more people for Christ. It's based upon his goodness. It's an outpouring of goodness meant to elevate different people in their giftings and and equip the saints. This is good. And then he opens an opportunity and provides a, a landlord and grant funding and support that was unexpected. It's like, ah, God is determining that this would happen. God makes this happen is making has made will make this happen we can only discover that as we pursue instead of we wait I don't know is it God's will is it not but then we realize oh dear God if you didn't make the things happen if you didn't have a determination to step into our world and make and force things to happen nothing good would ever happen so we invite God to enact his will in our lives so this brings us to our our last scripture to look at and like I said we're just going to continue this conversation for weeks and weeks Ephesians 5 17 simply says do not be foolish but understand what the will of the Lord is so our goal our pursuit is to understand what the will of the Lord is so which will do you think that is the plan the plans or the pleasure just take a guess if your bible doesn't have it in the margin all of them well it's only one word that got picked so they had to pick one word to write understand what the will of the lord is which will do you think is mentioned there pleasure plan pleasure it is that gives us our starting point to this whole conversation If you will simply know what delights the Lord, your whole life will make sense. It will not be easy, but it will make sense, and it will be towards good. This is the grace versus the law. If we made it our whole life's mission to know the determinations of God, that's such a harsh legal approach. That's religion as opposed to faith. I don't want to tell everybody here what exactly they have to do and when. And I don't want you to tell each other this is what you have to do and when. I want you to know the pleasures of God. Because by that measurement stick, everything you pick can fall within the big target. And then it's just a matter of, well, how impactful can we be? Could we really, with God's help, shoot a bullseye on that? That would be great. But even like the weakest arrow on the outer outskirts of the target is still within what will please God. This gives us confidence. This takes away our doubts about the control, the manipulation that we sometimes charge God with. That's not who he is. So as we step into kind of a thinking about God's will, I encourage you to do little studies on your own. Just do a little Google search. Bible verse with the will of God, and you'll see there's like over a hundred. And then just start thinking to yourself, what are they talking about in each of these passages? But our goal has to start with loving what God loves. He is a God of love. It is a plan of love. His son is a son of love. All the spiritual gifts are meant to be done in love, and if they're not, they're useless. The greatest commandment is love God, love your neighbors. Everything has to start from love, and yet will feels confining, feels predetermined, feels like authoritative. It's not that sort of thing, because it falls within the pleasure of God. And the more you know him and what he loves, the more it will determine every single step, and you will care for your people better. Your people will feel so much more loved by you because you know how to love like God loves because you see it in Him. You're like, that's so good. And then pursuing that yourself will make all the determinations fall closer and closer and closer into alignment with His Son. So this is where we stop today, but it's also where we start. Just be thinking about the bigness of the will of God, the complexity of it. But start with knowing His thalema. Seek after it here. Do not be foolish. So if you think you know what's best, if I think I know what's best, we're fools. But if we can know what God loves, ah, that's the beginning of everything. Understand what the sovereign pleasure of the Lord is. Michaela, I'm going to invite you to come forward whenever you're ready to lead us in communion. I'd like to say a word of prayer for us now. Father God, it is certainly within your good pleasure that we would be here this morning worshiping, thinking about you, meditating on you, reading your word, fellowshipping with brothers and sisters, praying to you, giving to you, sacrificing of our time to you, confessing to you. Oh, this is certainly within your good pleasure. And I thank you that you made it happen this morning for us, for the ways we could have been distracted or too tired or too busy. You did not allow those things to thwart your purposes for this morning, that we could be here together. And I thank you that this morning is a small step in the long journey, a small piece of the big picture that you are building. This day matters. These thoughts matter. We matter to you as a small piece of your greatness. So may your will be done. May your good pleasure be lived out in our church. May your determinations be done, may your decisions be enacted, and may your will be done. May we become more like you, and may others come to know you more and more every single day. May your will be done, Father. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.